Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. I'll tell you again, every once in a while you probably ought to do this at me or something because they keep telling me that I'm supposed to look at the camera. I guess I'm that pretty and uh, they want to see me on the, on, on the camera. So... The message that I have this evening is uh, one that I suspect that a lot of people would find somewhat controversial, especially in the current environment uh, of our country. But let me say ahead of time before I get started that you should know where I come from. Um, I had two uncles in the Second World War, one in the Pacific, one in Europe, well, North Africa first, and then Anzio, where he was almost cut half in two by a German machine gun, but he survived because his name was Scott. I think that had something to do with it. I was named after him. I had two brothers who were professional soldiers, both of whom put in 30 years. The oldest brother was retired as a colonel in the Air Force, and my middle brother retired as command sergeant major. And Gene's oldest brother is buried in a military graveyard in Florida, and uh, my middle brother <clears throat> is buried in a graveyard in a small town, a dorf in Germany. Now you need to know that ahead of time because in this day and age, uh, why, uh, and in the environment of our country currently, people who have strong convictions about patriotism are sometimes poo-pooed. So uh, you need to know, so be it. That's not going to change who I am or what I say. I was thinking all week long because I was outside putting those little flags around and, and making sure that before the 4th of July got here, all the flags at the, around the parking lot were lit and new and in good order, and they are. It made me think of a song by George M. Cohan that uh, probably all of you old codgers know, but some of you young ones may not. It was, what, entitled, You're a Grand Old Flag. You're a high-flying flag. You're the emblem of the land that I love. That's exactly the correct expression for my sentiments, and I want you to know that ahead of time because... Uh, uh, I love this country, I love what it stands for, and I'm disturbed by what's happening to us. I, if, one of my favorite people in history is an old Englishman whose mother was an American, Winston Churchill, 
said concerning the free enterprise system that we have here. It's not perfect. We know that. But listen to how Winnie described it. He said, No one pretends that democracy is perfect or all-wise. Indeed, he said, it has been said that democracy is the worst form of government there is, except for all the other forms of government that exist. We are really fortunate people to live and have lived, in my case, for fourscore years and more in a land that is free. A few years ago, we had a lady visit Alice Kay and myself at our home. I had visited there in Bethlehem of Judea. And Mary came here and spent a day or two with us. Alice Kay took her to Ashland to go shopping. And when they came back, I looked out our window and Mary was dancing around our car. Now, this is a 60-some-year-old woman dancing around the car. And when she came in the house, I said, Mary, what were you? She said, this is what freedom is all about because they don't have much there. And so because of that, uh, I have some pretty strong convictions. And then when you read this 12th chapter and, and, and uh, the 13th chapter of Romans, the first seven verses in particular, it, uh, I wrote in your, if you take the time to read what I wrote in your, in your bulletins, you'll see that these seven verses have at times created real problems for the Christian. Consider a Christian in 1940 in Germany, or a, consider a Christian today in communist Venezuela or in communist China. They all have to be underground. They're not welcome there. And yet, this passage of Scripture says some things that are really tough for the believer. Here's what it says. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. For there's no governor, government except that which God has established. This will need some clarifying. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment to themselves. For rulers have no terror for those who do right but those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and he'll commend you. For he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he who does not bear the sword for nothing, meaning the this Roman short sword that was used for execution, he's God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment to the wrongdoer. Therefore, he says, it's necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of violating your conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. 
Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then pay revenue. If respect, then pay respect. If honor, then honor. Now, here's where we run into problems as Christians. As believers in Jesus Christ, we have, and, uh, and citizens of the United States, we have two final sources of authority. We have the Constitution that governs us in, as a civil authority. We have the Bible that governs us as followers of Jesus Christ. What happens when those two conflict? The Bible is very clear. And it'll make some civil authorities uncomfortable because it says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's your first priority. If you look closely at a passage of scripture in Philippians, in Philippians 2.21... This will kind of get your attention and maybe uh, rub some people the wrong way, but I can't help it. It's what the Bible says. <clears throat> In Philippians 2.21, it reads thusly. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because he is a son with the, his father as a son to, uh, is with his father, he has served me in the work of the gospel. Back in verse 21, he says, For everyone who looks out for his own interest, everybody has a tendency to look out for their own interest, but Timothy and Paul and us, now get this, are to look out for those of Jesus Christ. The natural man looks out for himself and himself alone. The spiritual man looks out for the reputation of who Jesus is. And we conduct ourselves that way. That's what Paul is trying to tell us here in verse 21. We have the responsibility of looking out for the Lord because he has carefully looked out and provided for us. Now, with this in mind, let's talk about things a little bit. If you notice, I put in your outline, the first thing is this. Government is an institution created by God to control the natural impulses of sinful man. This is in the 13th chapter of Romans that I read to you earlier. The chapters 1, 2, and 3 of the book of Romans does this. He goes to a great deal of time to say, to make an argument for what is recorded in Romans 3.23. He starts off by saying, the Jews have the law, and every one of those Jews have violated God's law, and therefore they're a sinner. Then he says, and you non-Jews, Gentiles, the Jews would call us pagans. All of you have had 
God's word written upon your heart and you have violated that and so you're a sinner. The result is in Romans 3.23 for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Therefore, the totality of the human race since the fall is guilt are sinners and sinners are essentially people who look out after themselves and really don't care about the other guy. A Christian is someone who puts the other person's welfare equal to their own. The only exception to that, to my knowledge, off the top of my head says... He who careth not for his own, especially of his own household, is worse than the infidel. So the care of your family, and then you, then the care of the family of God is tremendously important. And before I'm through here, that, that concept is going to be what I believe to be the key to harmony among the races. And you've heard this before from me. So here in the 13th chapter... He addresses the fact that because we are all sinners, same book now, now he's over to chapter 13, he said, because we're all sinners, all selfish, all with a predisposition of doing what we daggone well to do and we don't want anybody to tell us differently. Our country's suffering from that right now. We have people, a lot of people, who refuse to wear a mask because they don't want anybody to tell them what to do. And the result is we're having now a reoccurrence of the virus problem. Ain't nobody going to tell me what to do. Well, now let me, let me put something before you. Now think about this. For those who refuse to wear a mask, there's nobody going to tell me what to do. I hate to wear those silly things. They make me sneeze. They tickle my nose. There's nothing good that I can say about these masks. I just don't like to wear them, but I do. Now, I learned this a long time ago. I had a good friend who helped us build these church buildings. Actually, took a summer off as a construction man to help us build buildings. His stepson was driving a vehicle with some other teenagers in it, hit a culvert head. He'd been drinking. And he was then charged with vehicular homicide and had to go to prison. I went to court and said, hey, if you'll not send him to prison, I'll take responsibility. He'll live with me, blah, 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 blah. But the judge told me, uh, no way, Jose. And uh, it didn't work out that way. Because I really owed this man something. Folks, one of these days, this is going to happen. I hope not to you, but it could very easily happen. Because when they find out somebody who has the virus, then they trace down to see who all they've contacted. If I were the last person that you had contacted and you had the virus and I died, my family could very easily then turn around and sue you for killing me. And that very likely is going to happen one of these days. So you better think twice about your selfish desire and, and refusal not to save some. Because masks don't save your life. They save somebody else's, we're told by the authorities. Well, now that I've got that off my chest, and I've tried to keep you out of prison, 
we'll move on. The point you must remember is this. Government exists at the appointment of God because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and have a tendency to say, I'm going to do whatever I please and nobody's going to tell me different. That's the natural propensity of a sinner and if you're not awful careful of immature Christians as well. Now, secondly, the Bible and especially the New Testament is a tool of the Holy Spirit to assist the believer to be obedient. Now, and we're staying here with the book of Romans, at least for the time being. We'll get to Ephesians in just a minute. If you look carefully, and especially in the King James, if you look carefully at verses 1, chapter 1, verse 5, and then go all the way over to the 16th chapter, which is the last chapter in the book of Romans, verse 26, you will see that the book of Romans actually has quotations or parentheses around one statement. That statement is this, obedience to the faith. Obedience to the faith. Chapter 1, verse 5. So everything in there is talking about a Christian living in such a way that just by observing that person, you know they're a Christian. We shouldn't have to wear a T-shirt that tells everybody that we're born again. Now, if you want to do that, have at it, but we shouldn't have to do that. We should be able, it should be able to see that we're a Christian by the way that we behave toward each other. And when you go over to the sixth chapter of the book of Ephesians, which is really all about the church, and you get to the sixth chapter, he's talking about, he's using the garb of a Roman soldier to illustrate some spiritual truth. And when you get down to, what is that, verse uh, uh, 16, is it? 17, sorry. My eyeballs are having trouble here. It says, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit. So what he's telling us here is the Holy Spirit of God that comes into your life when you're saved. You're not saved until you're born again, born of the Spirit of God. You can do a lot of religious stuff, but you're not really saved until God is invited into your life with the commitment that he'll be the dominant influence in your life. That's what being born again means. The the church that Patrick and Eddie go belong to, the small denomination in Uganda, where they belong to, it's called Back to the Bible Truth. They refer to themselves as born-again churches. There are more than that. You can talk to those guys about that. But here's the way that, excuse me, in my own mind, I've worked that out. Here we have the Word of God, and the Spirit of God that lives within us takes the Word of God as we read it and study it and have it taught to us, 
and have it preached to us, then the Spirit of God takes that word and uses it to conform our life to that of Jesus. The ultimate goal is for to be able to get to what the Apostle Paul said when he said, for me to live is Christ. The work of the Holy Spirit is to take the Word of God and, and, and use it in our lives to conform us so that we look like Jesus, not physically, but in a spiritual manner. Now, let's go on to three. The New Testament teaches, and this is where it's going to get to be a sticky wicket for some folks in our culture today. Involvement in anything as Christians that detracts us from that goal of being like Jesus, which is our ultimate Christian witness, should be avoided. And the Apostle Paul wrote to young Timothy to spell this out to him. Because you know as well as I do, if you are a Christian that have been in this thing for a while, you know that a newborn Christian only has the potential of becoming what? Becoming something spiritual and dynamic for God. But he must mature into that possibility. A newborn Christian is just a sinner the day after he's saved. And the influence of his natural man, of the natural man is still dominant until he matures to the place where the Holy Spirit actually has authority and power over his natural desires and instincts. But the Apostle Paul wrote to young Timothy, <coughs> excuse me, and uh, he used two or three, I'm just going to use two illustrations about this. Now, here's the, here's the way he said it. You then, my son, this is writing to young Timothy, and this is probably the last book he wrote before he died, had his head chopped off by the Roman authorities. He wrote to this young preacher who's going to succeed him as in the pastorate overlooking the church there in Ephesus. He writes this way, because that's where Timothy is when he writes to him. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, you entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Then he says, endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Now listen to this. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. He's using this image of a soldier and saying, now that you as a Christian are a soldier of Jesus Christ, you're in God's army to change the world. You're in his army, and you shouldn't get distracted from your responsibilities. We have a tendency, now hear me closely, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, we have a tendency at times to be so distracted by political and cultural affairs that we overlook the fact that we're here primarily to represent Jesus Christ who saved us. 
I can't think of a single politician who ever died on the cross for me. And if you wait till one does for you, you're going to be a sorry soul. Our primary allegiance as Christians is to Jesus Christ. Keep this in your mind. Now, thanks, Eddie. You're a good man. I don't care what they say about you. Thank you. <clears throat> Happens when you get old. Now they need a snort occasionally. Now here, here's what I'm getting ready to share with you when it gets a little, be a sticky wicket. I know of several Christian people in different places across our country. I've got kids in Tennessee, Indiana, Colorado, as well as here in Ohio. And they come under tremendous influences of different organizations. And most people are, do not take the time to research these different organizations carefully. Please do that. Don't just take my word for it. You check it out. You will find that many of these organizations are essentially Marxist. And Marxism is a, an enemy of the cause of Christ. We know that because they said, because Mark said so. Mark said that religion is the opiate of the people. In other words, you're a bunch of dopers if you're a Christian. He was an atheist. And you have in the back of this if you, study, if you ever had the privilege of studying the history of Western philosophy, you know that there was a German named Schopenhauer. Schopenhauer was a brilliant guy, but he was a pessimist. And he was the one who followed a lot of what was prominent at the time, ultimately, at, at essentially the same time, the book, The Origin of the Species, was written that says what? It really teaches that the strongest prevail. Schopenhauer said the same thing about people. He said, might, to sum it up, might is right, and justice serves the interests of the mighty. He wasn't the only one, but he, he really pushed that. And he, was, he eventually was a, 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 an influence, he was an influence on another guy named Frederick Nietzsche. Nietzsche was an atheist. Nietzsche was the one who said God is dead, or at least all of the Christians that I know act like it. God is dead. So you have the origin of the species that, said, that indicates that in the animal world, the survival of the fittest. In the human world, it's the strongest that survives. And right, strong is right, he said. Then you have a guy coming along whose name in Russian is so hard to pronounce that he changed it and, and had a nickname. His nickname was Lenin. And Lenin said, he said a, a, a lot of things that I, I, if I had the time to, to repeat some of them. One of them, he said, the objective of socialism the ultimate exception uh, of socialism is communism. 
He was the one who said, a lie told often enough becomes the truth. He was the one who said, one man with a gun can control a hundred without one. And what he did was to use young people to create chaos because he said, if I can create enough chaos of people setting peop one group of people against the other, that I can control that all, I can control all of it. That's what Lenin said. That's the way he, the Bolsheviks took over Russia. In China, Mao Zedong did what? He took a bunch of young people called the Red Guard and sent them all through the country creating chaos so that with a smaller army he could control all of China. China today is a communist state and the church is outlawed. The church is an underground church. The, the enemy, socialism and and. and and all of its roots. And many of these organizations have been co-opted by Marxist groups. Now, if you question me at all, and you may, you can probably, no, I know you can, because I've done it. You can go Google what I'm telling you, and it will be there in black and white so that you will know that it's the truth. We live in perilous times because we have had people who come in invariably when there's a march or something, there's somebody that comes in from out of town and co-ops co the group. There isn't anything wrong, it never has been in our country with peaceful resistance. Martin Luther King made that so clear that you'd have to be crazy, blind, deaf, and dumb not to understand. That's an acceptable means of letting your heart hurt be shown and hope that the political system will take notice of it. There's, there, there's actually theologies. Now listen to me carefully. There's actually theologies that are essentially Marxist. Can you believe that? Because they've penetrated our culture with it. Did you ever hear of the term liberation theology? Liberation theology was begun by a Peruvian priest who said, I'm going to try to blend Christianity and Marxism. The problem was, wherever they were at loggerheads, Marx won. He ultimately came to teach at University of Notre Dame. Matthew got to hear him lecture once when he was in seminary. You may not know it, but women's liberation came as a result of that. And many, many, many... Do you remember years ago in New York... The dictator of Cuba had been invited to speak at the United Nations and the week, the Sunday before, was invited to a liberation church to speak, and he's an atheist. Now, I'm not, I'm not trying to hassle anybody. I'm trying to inform you. And the information that I'm giving to you is easily verifiable if you'll just take the time to check it out. Check me out. 
I will gladly recant if you show me I'm wrong. But you're going to have to hustle some because I've spent a lot of time preparing. As a pastor of a Christian church, I am opposed to any organization, any group of people, anywhere that oppose Jesus Christ and his church. I'm for anybody or any group that are for Jesus and the kingdom of God. That's what a preacher has to be. That's what we're called to be. Now, every Christian, every Christian everywhere, listen to me, every Christian entire life should be filtered in the things that we believe and the things that we do should be filtered through the lens of the Word of God. Matthew told me that there were some people, probably here, maybe here in our church, I don't know, but certainly in our community, who had said some hurtful things to some of our black folks. I believe that. Probably so. But if you're here, listen to me carefully, or if you're listening by that tube that you, that computer that you all sit in front of. Let me, let me give you a way to know what you ought or ought not to say. In my opinion, the most revered person of Christ Community Church is Ralph Clay. Before you put anything on that Whatever, however you'd put it on, because I don't mess with it. I think Facebook was probably created at least in purgatory and maybe in hell. But before you put anything on there, you'll say, would this hurt Ralph Clay? And let that be. And see, if you really are spiritual, then you say, how will this affect what people think of Jesus? Because he's just a slightly above Ralph. Not far, but slightly. All right. All right. And Ralph is sitting here, for those of you who are watching on that tube, so he knows what I'm saying. You see, the Bible, I think, is very clear. We are to love our neighbor as our, in, in the body of Christ. We're to love our neighbor as ourselves. We're to even love our enemies and pray for them. And I'm telling you, that ain't easy. Now, some people have said to me, but, but what they've said had hurt my feelings. Hey, I know what hurt feelings are. I had people stand here in the pulpit and vilify me with things that were as far from the truth as the east is from the west, and not a single soul stood up and said, that's just not true in spite of the fact that the New Testament says that accusations against the pastor should never be made without two or three witnesses. And no witnesses could be found. I know what it is to have my heart torn out and to have my feelings hurt. But I didn't leave. I stayed put because I love the church and I love you brethren. And I even love the guy that said it. 
You see, here's what I think is ultimately the answer. Because we're not really a church. We're just a gathering of people if we don't love each other. 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians makes that so clear that I don't see how anybody could argue that differently. And it's my conviction, it's my conviction that the tension between the races would have been settled a long time ago if we all had done the right thing way back when. We didn't start that slave stuff. That started in Africa. And if you want to know about its history, talk to Patrick and Eddie. They can tell it better than I. But it was exported from Africa to here. And you know who helped change it? Hear me now. It was a bunch of preachers who were abolitionists. One of them was in Cincinnati. His sister, I think it's his sister and niece, wrote a book called Uncle Tom's Cabin that probably had more to do with the freeing of the slaves than anything other than the proclamation by that old Kentucky boy named Lincoln. But with all of that behind us, we can't do anything about that. And here in recent years, we still haven't done the right thing as I see it. I'll grant you this is one man's opinion, but it's an awful good one, I think. If there had been one church, there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father and all. There shouldn't be black churches. There shouldn't be white churches. There should be the church of Jesus Christ where everybody that God, everybody that God has created and has been born twice can sit together in one body, love, get to know each other, get to love each other. When we hired Ralph Clay to be a part of our staff here at Christ Community Church, I grew, you know, I had checked him out for a long period of time with conversations and so on and so forth. I grew to love him and respect him, but I'll tell you this, I love him and respect him more today than I did then because we've hung out together, we've traveled the world together, we've prayed together, we, and he's taught me about black folks, and I've tried to tell him about, about white ones, and I, he'd shake his head every once in a while. But anyway, he did that. Anyway. No, I'm just kidding. But I'm convinced, because there are black bigots who want to keep the black folks together and not let them worship with us and and I told Ralph when he came here I can't do anything about the black bigots but I can sure handle the white rednecks I'll take care of them if you can handle the black bigots he said I can take care of them and he's done that well but we still have been essentially failures in getting us all to worship together Matthew has said and and I've tried but I'm not there yet that we need to have a, a periodic worship service black and white together, maybe on a Sunday night when we're not interfering with anybody's scheduled worship services and have guys like Tony Evans to come and preach. And Tony's wife died recently, and he's been struggling with that. And so I've kind of let that drift because we do have a relationship with him. It goes clear back to Katrina. I'm convinced 
that if we really got to know each other, prayed for each other, and supported each other, encouraged each other, that the walls of racism would, would melt away and disappear as we all became one in Jesus Christ. I think that's the answer. I don't trust the politicians to fix anything. Okay. I'm done preaching. I've said what I came to say, and I've been as honest with you as my heart can possibly be. God is not a respecter of persons, neither should we be. And I think I can stand before, I know I can stand before God and say, I'm not a respecter of persons. If you all don't know it, you ought to know it now. I mentioned it the other day. My wife is 80 years old. She's 10 years younger than Sarah was when Sarah had a baby. And Alice Kay is getting ready to have two more kids when she's 80. And both of them are black. And we're tickled to death. We're looking at the 15th of this month when they, if the, if the law goes along with it, will say that Eddie and Patrick are a part of our family. It's called adult adoption. And they will be literally our sons. Don't tell me that the bridges can't be crossed and that we can't have one body of believers in Jesus Christ without reference to any color. Lord, dismiss us with a sense of your blessing, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen? Folks, you're free to go. Thank you all for watching. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.